0: Hello. Can you hear me? Did you have a nice break? I had enough time to come back in, change into my business blazer, so y'all would take me seriously. But after this afternoon, I'm afraid I've lost that ability for you to trust me to be serious. Um, Something we all love about this Women's Conference, and especially me, is this warm friendship we all get to experience. I'm a full-time working woman, and I don't get this warmness from my job that I have here on this weekend, so I pack it in when I'm here, and I smile the whole time, and many of you are just so gracious with your love for me, and I'm so thankful. I've been a member at Summit Woods for 18 years, and most of you have been um, impactful in my life during that time. Um, but I don't think we can have too many Christian friends, and so I'm going to introduce you to a new friend I I met recently last fall, and last October would have been her 204th birthday. It really is true that there's nothing new under the sun. As I read through Elizabeth Prentice's diaries and letters, I've been literally blown away by the similarities in my own correspondences, my own journals, and likely you will be too. the questions I asked that Elizabeth was always wrestling with were, "How can I love my Savior more?" Uh, the sufferings of my loved ones are almost unendurable. My children exhaust me, and if I don't sleep, I think I might die. <laughs> God must have a purpose to keep teaching me this lesson repeatedly, and God disciplines those He loves. One of elizabeth's greatest hopes was that her life of faith would be an encouragement to younger women and we're all younger than 204 (laughs) so you're going to be greatly encouraged today so i'm going to move through her life chronologically but i'll just start with a little bit of an overview Um, elizabeth prentice was born in 1818 in portland maine to edward and anna payson she lived 59 influential years in which she wrote 25 books And a famous hymn. She was a pastor's daughter. She was a pastor's wife. She bore six children. She lived with chronic illness and endured the Civil War. She believed suffering was part of God's plan and that our highest calling was to love Christ supremely in all circumstances and to live for Him alone. At the age of 51, that's my age, she wrote this quote, I believe fully that there is no happiness on earth as there is none in heaven to be compared with that of losing all things to possess Christ. I'll read that again. I believe fully that there is no happiness on earth as there is none in heaven to be compared with that of losing all things to possess Christ. Elizabeth enjoyed a very devout lineage. Her great-great-great-grandfather Edward uh, was a Puritan who came to America in 1635. Uh, Her father, also an Edward, was a Harvard graduate, ordained in 1807. His theology was a mild type of old New England Calvinism, influenced by Puritan writers like John Newton, Richard Cecil. Thomas Akempis and Fenelon were also some of his favorite authors and became Elizabeth's as well. Elizabeth also loved the works of Wordsworth, Tennyson, and Longfellow. Religious life in New England was influenced by a lot of elements, but here are some key ones. First and foremost, the historical Puritan influence was still very present in Elizabeth's time, the foundation being laid over many generations in the writings of Baxter, Ho, Bunyan, Watts, and Edwards. These volumes were still prolific in Elizabeth's day. Second, the evangelical movement, or the evangelical spirit, had an influence in many churches and homes. The writings of John Newton... Richard Cecil, Hannah Moore, Wilberforce, Foster, Fuller, and many more were widely read and shared among families. In addition, the revival element shaped a lot of religious life. Many prayers and efforts were made for this influence on believers. Last, the new spirit of reform influenced a lot of social justice and ethics. However, with all of these influences, I found that uh, God's word itself and his spirit were the most influ- influential of all in Elizabeth's life and heart. Her great love for him grew out of a knowledge of who he was as she studied the scriptures and sat under the great orders of her time. She knew deeply that God was good, that he did good, and his great love was sufficient and trustworthy. Her life was characterized by intense suffering, intermingled with beautiful grace among Christian friends. These three themes were the greatest in all of her writings, and like many many in her generation, the experience of sickness and loss was frequent. In her time, one out of 10 babies born died in infancy. Nearly every single mother lost at least one child due to illness or um, infection. The average lifespan in her time was just over 40. Only about 10% of adults lived to the age of 60, and her own father died Um, of tuberculosis when she was just nine. In addition, doctors still didn't regularly wash their hands between surgeries, (laughs) and the use of either chloroform or ether uh, didn't really begin until the mid-1800s. It's nearly impossible to believe, but in her 20s, Elizabeth had a neck tumor surgically removed with no anesthetic. I'm going to read to you something. (laughs) So get your squirm on. She asked a friend to be with her during this surgery, Um, and this is something that her friend wrote. There was no chloroform then to be given blessed unconsciousness of suffering, and every pang had to be endured, but she more than kept her promise to be good. Not a sound or a movement betrayed, um, betrayed suffering. She spoke only once. After the knife was laid aside and the threaded needle was passed through the quivering flesh, to draw the gaping edges of the wound together, she asked, after the first stitch had been completed, in a low, almost calm tone, with only a slight tremulousness, how many more were to be taken? Now, not only did Elizabeth have a strong constitution, she had a strong mind. She studied German and French, she read prolifically, and she became a teacher. She taught out of her home in Portland and then in Richmond, Virginia, where she taught at a girls' boarding school. To give you an idea of her humility, she wrote this to a friend while she was teaching. Quote, I come out of school so happy, though half-tired, to death, wishing I were better and hoping I shall become so. For the more my scholars love me, the more I am ashamed that I'm not the pink of perfection that they seem to fancy me. End quote. In addition to this, Elizabeth from a very young age was drawn to the page, and by the age of 16, she was publishing poems and stories. Many of her writings were just to encourage others in their faith, to increase their love for Christ. I'm going to read you a little poem she wrote. And this is called New Year. With mingling hope and trust and fear, I bid thee welcome, untried year. The paths before me pause to view, which shall I shun and which pursue? I read my fate with serious eye. I see dear hopes and treasures fly. Behold thee on thy opening wing. Now grief, now joy, now sorrow bring. God grant me grace, my course to run. With one blessed prayer, his will be done. Isn't that sweet? Even with all her efforts and accomplishments from a young age, she felt like she could do more she even wrote that she was ashamed and felt inadequate that she wasn't making God the returns that, she, that he deserved. She did get married at the age of 27 to George Prentice, the brother of a dear friend. They loved each other very much, and many of their letters have been published. She refers to loved ones in her letters and her diaries by their first initial, and so I'll refer to him as G. Um, once when G was out of town, she wrote him a little letter and said, quote, I think of you all the time and love you with the happiest tears in my eyes. And in other letters, she referred to George as her dearest love and her precious darling. And she desired to always be the best little wife and would often sign her letters with your loving and dutiful wife. He was a pastor of South Trinitarian Church in New Bedford, Massachusetts, a city whose founders were Quakers and whose economy was the whale industry. The city held a population of 12,000, and Elizabeth was welcomed with open arms into her new church family, um, on a large account because of her father, who was almost a saint in the area. Um, They welcomed their first son, a little little girl named Annie, their first daughter. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Annie, in 1846. And two years later, the little boy, Edward, they called him Eddie. He came along. Her own sweet mother died that year at the very old age of 65. But in the midst of this sadness, Elizabeth was also filled with lots of thanks. As I said, her life was characterized by suffering, grace, and friendship. So I'm gonna read to you a little note she wrote to a friend about her mother. Get your Kleenex. I hope I can read this. It seems to me that every day and hour I miss my dear mother more and more. And i feel more and more painfully how much she suffered during her last years and months dear louise i thought i knew that she could not live long but i never realized it and even now i keep trying to hope she was not re- she has not really gone just in this very spot where i now sit writing my dear mother's great easy chair used to sit and here only a year ago she was praying for and loving me if i had only known she was dying then and could have talked with her about heaven till It had grown to seeming like a home to which she was going, and whither I should follow her sooner or later. But it's all over and I would not have her here again. If the shadow of a wish could restore her to us, us, I only earnestly long to be fitting day by day to meet her again in heaven. Her baby Eddie suffered from intense colic. The sleeplessness that she endured weakened her for many years. She struggled with depression, of course fatigue. She lost weight. In addition to this stress of taking care of a colicky infant and a toddler, they moved to New York City, where George accepted a call as a pastor of the Mercer Street Presbyterian Church. Again, this community welcomed her, but her ill health was a frequent struggle. She and George lost little Eddie in 1852 from a mysterious rash that Elizabeth referred to as erysipelas. She wrote that, quote, His loving and gentle spirit ascended to that world where thousands of holy children and the blessed company of angels and our blessed Lord Jesus, I doubt not, joyfully welcomed him. She wrote a little heartbreaking poem about Eddie. It's called My Dying Eddie. He was a really sweet boy. He had a really sweet disposition. Um, He was about four years old when he passed. And she says, blessed child, dear child, for thee is Jesus' calling, and of our household thee and only thee. O hasten hence to his embraces, hasten, sweet shall thy rest, and safe thy shelter be. Thou who unguarded never hast left our threshold, alone must venture now an unknown way. Yet fear not, footprints of an infant holy lie in thy path, thou canst not go astray. These sufferings, though truly the most difficult in life, didn't shake her faith in God's great love. She wrote that God had been merciful in this affliction and that they were still a happy household, still full of thanksgiving. She went on to encourage her children, her friend's children, to think of Eddie in heaven with some of their own siblings who had died. The following April brought the joy of the birth of another baby, a baby girl, Bessie, their third Unfortunately, Elizabeth nearly died after this childbirth. Um, she was bedridden for many days and months. Um, little Bessie only lived for about a month. Her letters and journals are very painful to read during this time. Elizabeth was so weak that she was only able to hold Bessie one time, or tw- uh, two times. And that's only because she physically crawled out of her own bed on all fours and crawled into the nursery to hold her. She scratched out this little poem called My Nursery. I thought that prattling boys and girls would fill this empty room, that my rich heart would gather flowers from childhoods opening bloom. One child and two green graves are mine. This is God's gift to me. A bleeding, fainting, broken heart. This is my gift to thee. Fortunately, she did enjoy better health um, after this period of loss. Her sweet community offered her abundant comfort and encouragement. She writes frequently about the love and the generosity of her friends. Loss was frequent and pain was ever present. She published several stories and devotionals and spent many hours encouraging friends who'd lost children. They did welcome a fourth child, Minnie. She suffered a strange illness but came through. Elizabeth was terrified. And she wrote in her journal, quote, For 18 months she's been the little rod used by my father for my chastisement. And not, I think, quite in vain. She says, Oh my God, stay not thy hand till thou hast perfected that which concerneth me. Send anything rather than unsanctified prosperity. Send anything other than unsanctified prosperity. She penned her famous, uh, her famous hymn that we sang, More Love to Thee Around This Time, but she kept it to herself for many years. But I think it's helpful to know that this was the time period in which she wrote those words. The next years brought a lot of change. They welcomed a son, their fifth, named him George. Mr. Prentice um, was working very hard and he actually became very feeble and his physician recommended that he take a sabbatical, a very long one. So he resigned from his pastorate, and they left for Europe for a couple of years. Would you like to do that? Could we do that? The funds were provided for by their dear friends who just took up a collection and paid for them to live in Europe for a couple of years. It was very loving. God is really faithful um, to his character to provide respite, to provide mercy in times of difficulty. This season of life abroad was very restorative for the whole Prentice family. They welcomed their sixth child, a boy, Henry. They nicknamed him Swiss Boy because he was born in Switzerland. <laughs> of course, there was bad weather. There were painful carriage rides, and there was some scarlet fever, But there was a, and there was news of death of, of loved ones from America. But there were also gloriously sunny days and wonder, and during this time, her journal is just full of the wonder of God's creation and the beauty that she was able to experience in that time. They returned to the U.S. in 1861 to a nation at war. She lamented the state of the country. So many men lost their lives, including one of her nephews. And she, she asked, quote, Have the times ever looked so dark as they do now? We seem to be drifting round without chart or pilot, unquote. Like all other times of trial, Elizabeth ministered to the sick. She ministered to the needy and the hurting. She continued to experience chronic health problems and insomnia, But she bore these sufferings with quiet courage, looking to Christ for all her comforts. Many years later, um, in 1869, she wrote her famous book, Stepping Heavenward. It's an autobiographical story of a woman named Catherine. And she said that every word of the book was a prayer. She said, quote, much of my experience of life has cost me a great price, and I wish to use it for strengthening and comforting other souls. Some of the friends who were staying with her after she finished the manuscript said this about her, Quote, believing in Christ was her, not so much a duty as the deepest joy of her life, heightening all other joys. She believed, wait a minute, and she was not satisfied until her friends shared with her in this experience. She believed it to be attainable by all, founded on a complete submitting of the human to the divine will in all things great and small. Her hymn was published a year later in 1870. I think I got that date right. Let me make sure. Yes, 1870. Some place should say 1869. Somewhere in there. In later years, Elizabeth was a mentor to young women and men as well, keeping correspondence with many souls who looked up to her. I wanted you to listen to her mature tone in this letter that she writes to a young pastor. Let me comfort you with the assurance that you will be taught more and more by God's spirit how to resist and that true strength and holy manhood will spring up from this painful soil. Try to take heart. There is more than one footprint in the sands of time to prove that some forlorn and shipwrecked brother has traversed them before you and come off conqueror through the beloved. Don't stop praying for your life. Be as cold and emotionless as you please. God will accept your naked faith. When it has no glow or warmth in it and in his own time the loving glad heart will come back to you you ask if i ever felt that religion is a sham no never i know it is a reality if you ask if i'm ever staggered by the inconsistencies of professing christians i say yes i am often made heartsick by them but heart sickness always makes me run to christ and one good look at him pacifies me This is, in fact, my panacea for every ill, and as to my own sinfulness, that would certainly overwhelm me if I spent much time looking at it. God purposely sickens us of man and of self that we may learn to look long at Jesus. She remained a faithful follower of Christ and encourager of others all of her remaining years. She even hosted Bible readings and studies just days before she passed away. Her chronic ill health gave way to excruciating gastroenteritis and she passed away in 1878 at the age of 59 in her home. She was buried at sunset and her sweet hymn was sung by everyone in attendance. Some lessons that I, um, that I pulled out of, uh, Elizabeth's life were many, but I've boiled it down to about five. Uh, first of all, The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. Elizabeth loved God more than anything, and our love for him must be first. She loved others, or we love others rightly when this is first, and what undergirds our love is God's own love for us, and his faithfulness displayed through the scriptures. He's worthy. Second, love others, the second and greatest commandment. In every station of life, Elizabeth was surrounded by God's community on earth, And it's important for us to purposely invest our time, our wisdom, and our affection towards one another every day and every season. Abhor sin, number three. Elizabeth lamented her own hypocrisy and laziness, even in her latest years. When we abhor sin, we will long for and pursue greater holiness. Four, grow in compassion and thankfulness. Elizabeth said this, quote, I feel like a ball that is now tossed to sorrow and tossed back by sorrow to joy, for mixed in with every day's experience of suffering are such great and such unmerited mercies, Unquote. In times of sorrow, pray for God to show you his mercies. Remember that our lives here will have these seasons, and for Elizabeth, it felt daily. Last, number five, encourage others. This is similar to number two. Elizabeth spent time every day of her life writing correspondence and encouraging others or visiting someone. Make it a practice to give this to others in God's name. Well, I hope you've enjoyed meeting Elizabeth. My life is literally changed from knowing her. Um, And I think she would be uh, pleased to know that even after all these years, she's still encouraging others. It was her greatest hope, so I hope that you have been encouraged. Thank you.